Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Arcpiece, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the Arcpiece industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I am an Arcpiece artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about Arcpiece, art direction, business, technology, you name it. And I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not so obvious topics connected to our industry and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and why not, as a human being as well. So please join me. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of There's Something About Arcpiece. Hello, my friends, and welcome once again to There's Something About Arcbiz. You're listening to episode number eight, and this one is thought for those of you looking for a job position in Arcbiz, be it an entry level or a senior role, doesn't really matter. The story of today's guest is surely going to be a major inspiration on how to challenge your assumptions about yourself, and it will probably push you to press that send button on your job application. You've probably already heard about Lucia Frasera, I guess. She's a senior archivist artist, she's working right now at Seki Smith in London, but she has previous senior experience at D-Box and Cityscape. Today I have Lucia on the mic telling us the story of how her passion for archivist was born, and how she went from living in a small town in Tuscany to working for the biggest names of our industry in London. During her career, Lucia has experienced the archivist industry from several angles, and our conversation revolved indeed on how our responsibilities change when shifting from a role to another and when moving between companies of different sizes. We also discussed very important topics for any job hunting artists, such as personal skills and the attitude to show for a successful career in Arcvis. And we also talk about what companies expect from a candidate and from their portfolio. This episode is really a no-brainer for all of you considering to pursue a career or a position shift in Arcvis, so I'll leave you to our conversation. Enjoy! Lucia, so how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a weird, wild year, I think, for everybody. And uh, but I, I can't complain. We you know, work and thank God we didn't really have uh, any very, very big problem in the office, so I'm glad for that. And yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to, you know, to be here to talk to you about uh, my story. I mean, my ArcVid journey uh, started when I studied in Florence architecture. So I studied in Florence, I have a master's degree in architecture. And back then, I didn't really know, back then, I mean, in the first, I don't know, year or two of university, I didn't really know what ArcVid was. Everything was done by hand, or at least in my university. I'm sure that in other parts of the world is different, but where I study was like the first two years, first year especially, everything was done, you know, drawing, uh, like very, very old school, which was actually not bad. You know, it, it does teach you a lot about discipline, especially, and uh, composition and uh, a lot of things. So I think from the third year of university, I discovered renderings, you know, that people who went to, you know, set their exams, they would get probably higher marks if they represented their project better. You know, if I had a very beautiful project, but I didn't know how to represent it, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get as good mark as somebody else who uh, actually spent a bit of time in the representation. So I got 
very into that. And uh, I self-taught Photoshop and some very, very basic uh, software at the beginning of my ArcVis career. I didn't know that some offices were doing this. I didn't know I could do this as a job. Um, I knew that there were some figures inside architectural practices who were doing this representation graphics and uh, renderings, but I didn't know that you could actually you know, do this as a job. So I go into that. I watch a lot of tutorials. I think the very first person I started to follow was Alex uh, O'Grief. I don't really know how to pronounce his surname. Alex O'Grief, yeah. O'Grief, yes. <laughs> I think Alex O'Grief has been the common thread between all of us who wanted to improve their skills in representing their projects. Yeah. Uh, not many people knew about Alex at the time, but... I was one of those people. It was kind of an inspiration for me as well for starting with my content creation activity. But anyway, yeah, he also spoke about not just artists, but also about representing projects in a in a pleasant way. Yeah, exactly. Portfolio. I think he did yeah. a lot of yeah, yeah. you know portfolio graphics representation. So it was super super good. I loved it so much. His blog and all. I watched every tutorial, and I think I learned Photoshop in the ArcVis field just because of him and it was great but I didn't know 3D at all so I basically started to do at the beginning very basic um, modeling in SketchUp then switching to Rhino but then I didn't know how to actually render that so I didn't know V-Ray I didn't know any of those render engines back then I started to do renderings with Artlantis to be honest, the water of Atlantis was brilliant. <laughs> there was like the material water. I don't think you could do any material whatsoever, but the water For was... students listening, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was, um, it was really good. And then from there, basically were clay renders and I started to do a lot like Photoshop following, you know, Alexographer in um, uh, tutorials and stuff. So that's actually where... I started to develop my passion for post-production because for many years, everything I did was mainly post, mainly, you know, adding texture in post, how to add texture in post. So I had to figure out how to do it, um, of course, with the help of tutorials and stuff. And then after a few years of this, I was about to get my master's degree. And then I realized one day that I said, you know what? I, yes, I, I'm going to become an architect. I'm going to get my degree, fair enough. But what I really want to do is is this. So I, I really want to do visualization because at some point I also realized finally that you could do this as a job. And the reason why I discovered this is because I also discovered Mir. So of course, everybody knows Mir. And of course, if somebody don't know Mir, you know, shame on you. Um, it is... Um, <laughs> You know, this mere incredible work, something that it was done, I don't know, in 2009 or something like that. And it, it blew my mind. Yeah. And I think that Mir's work, even nowadays, it's still top notch, even it though is. there's so many firms that do amazing stuff. But Mir has that something extra that you don't really see anywhere else. I know. Of course, now, as you said, there are like many other incredibly good studios. But I think back then, they were so much up there, you know, they were so much like gods. And I said, that, that's not possible. Like, how could you? And I was looking at my images done with Atlantis and Photoshop. I said, what? what? How? How is that they, they could 
go from a base, what they are doing, you know, um, uh, not just, of course, technically, because at the time I was more focused on learning any technique. I didn't know which one was the best and there isn't like best one. The important thing is to learn some and trying to do the best with the one that you learn. But I didn't have any idea of how with the knowledge that I had. When you realize that actually the trick is very simple behind those images, because technically those images are simple. Most of the time, Mir's images are more about the photo, more about the integration than anything yeah. else. When you discovered that, how did you feel? Yeah, I mean, it blew my mind, but I didn't discover that for a long time, for a very long time, because I was still in university back then. And again, Mir was the only studio that I discovered. And uh, after that, I think I found out about Peter Guthrie and the boundary. Well, the boundary, I, th I don't think it existed back then, but it was just him and some, you know, um, images that he posted online. And then, of course, it was Alex Roman with his The Third and the Seventh movie, which was, again, something incredible. I think that was done in 2007 to 2009, something like that. And uh, I couldn't imagine how somebody could do that. So that was an insane inspiration for me. And I said, I don't care. I just want to do this. And these people, they must have started some somewhere. So I am starting now. I really want to, uh, If even if I get half of their quality, half of the beauty of the images that they are doing, I will be, you know, I will die a happy woman. I will be super happy. But it was kind of interesting to explain to my dad that I wanted to become a 3D artist after, you know, he paid university architecture for uh, <laughs> for many years for me, which to be honest, I'm really glad that I've got, you know, master degree in architecture and it's totally fine. Uh, and it helped me a lot in terms of many, many things. But of course, you don't need a master degree in architecture to be a 3D artist. So it's not it's not necessary. It could help in many ways, but it's not necessary. So I tried to pitch to my dad the fact that was my dream. That was what I wanted to do. So he and my mom sponsored a course. So I did a course to actually learn some 3D because, of course, yeah, you can be I think that there is just something that you can do doing a little bit of Photoshop with a base of Atlantis. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, if you get very, very good at that, fair enough. But I thought that to be able to at least have a chance in working in one of these offices, I had to learn at least the basics of softwares. Tools are tools, if you think about it. Apart from the fact that firms do have requirements when it comes yeah. about tools, it's because they allow you to do certain things that more basic tools cannot. Yeah, Even exactly. though the images is not linked itself to the tools. Absolutely, absolutely. It's still the basis of doing an image. So it's still important in a way. It's not the most important thing, but it's still absolutely, the foundation yeah. of what we do. So yeah, yeah, good thought anyway. And then you took off from there. Yeah, so I, I learned the basics of, in this case, 3ds Max, but it could be, you know, Cinema 4D or whatever else you decide to use. In that case, I chose 3ds Max. Uh, for no particular reason, it's just because I knew that was one of the, top software used in the industry and everything. And back then, again, my idea of industry was really, really small. So I didn't really have a very big picture of everything. And anyway, so I did this course in parallel with my last year university. And then at the end, I got my degree and then also I finished the course. The course was actually quite long, it was like a year course. But thinking about that, there was not necessary to do uh, such a long thing. I chose one that this school 
provided was something like learning from AutoCAD to Rhino to Revit, every single software possible. And then there was, of course, a big chunk of 3ds Max, uh, a very, very small one about V-Ray. Of course, Corona was not even existed, I think. So it was actually pretty long, but completely unnecessary. Uh, and at the end, after that, I started to I started to work on my portfolio. So that's when I, you know, taking reference images and trying to figure out how best to put together a portfolio. I created this probably about 10 images, something like that. I also created them because just after the graduation and after finishing this course, I was called from the school where I did this course to be a teacher of post-production because I did do a lot of self-teaching about post-production. And then this school didn't really have a module of post-production. So they decided, you know what, well, you kind of know a little bit more, just uh, come here and let's start from scratch a post-production course, post-production for archivists, of course. So we started then and I had to produce some images for the students to work on. Uh, so that's when basically I was producing my images for my portfolio, but also for the students. So some of these images are very, very heavy in terms of post-production, just for this reason, because I intentionally wanted to create something that was useful for them. And yeah, and then basically after creating this portfolio, I started to post images online. The only website that I knew was a CG architect. I didn't even know a CG architect was a big deal at all. I thought it was, oh yeah, I, I know this, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't know Jeff Motto. I didn't know nobody. Uh, so I started just to see if I get some kind of feedback, if this image is good, if the image is not good, you know, just to have an idea. Uh, so I started to post, I think, probably two or three images. Uh, that was 2014, 2015, I think. And then with my great surprise, one of them got the Pro of the Week. Again, I didn't know it was a big deal, but Pro of the Week in CG Architect means that everybody that's got a subscription to CG Architect newsletter, you know, receives every week or so the, the email where, you know, the Pro of the Week is featured. Again, I didn't know that everybody in the industry basically has got a, a newsletter <laughs> from CG Architect. You got a notification about your image. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody who got that, of course, saw the image and it was... That was the image that changed my life, honestly. Which one was the image? So that one is called Arctic. It's basically one that is with ice. Uh, there is sea and ice. All right, yeah. Foreground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there is some kind of libeskind ish I'm picturing that. Yeah. I'm okay. aware of that image, yeah. That was that one. And then from that one, somebody at D-Box contacted me on LinkedIn so I received a message from uh, one of the directors at D-Box and uh, I honestly, I'm not even joking, I thought it was a joke from some friends of mine because I, I knew D-Box as a name. I didn't know how big they were and how important they were in the industry, how influential. Um, but I knew kind of, of course, the name a little bit. Uh, and then I saw this, this message saying, oh, by the way, we saw your image on CG Architect, blah, blah, and we are interested in offering you a position uh, in our studio in London. And yeah, for like five days, I completely ignored it. <laughs> 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 you 
you know, I'm not, seriously, I'm not joking. I, I ignored it. I said, oh, yeah, that's nothing. I mean, that's just a joke. You know, I knew like a couple of friends of mine. One of them is actually my boss now. So I, I should like <laughs> not <laughs> okay. say it. But um, yeah, I say, like, oh, that, it's, it's probably one of their jokes. Uh, so nothing serious. And then I, I thought about it. It's like, wait a minute. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a joke. So I went, I looked this person up. And I saw who he was, and I said, like, "Oh my God, really? He's a legit really guy. Is legit, <laughs> yeah." Um, and think of the fact that back then I didn't really know English very well, uh, so English language I, I was not fluent at all, um, and I never really left my hometown for anything except for a brief, you know, few days holidays, mm -hmm. and that's it. So. I actually knew London pretty well just because the only few holidays I would go, I would do is in London. I always loved it. Uh, but it was a massive, massive change for me just to to even think of moving away. You know, uh, I was in that mindset, which was wrong. Now it's, I see it. I say that, that was so wrong. Thinking that you were born in this small town in Tuscany and then you're going to die in this small town in Tuscany uh, and you're never going to do anything else. Because I always was very, very scared of going and put myself in the game. So I would never have gone looking for a job abroad back then the job got looking for you actually exactly so it is insane if i think about it now say that that's absolutely insane because if it wasn't for the image and if it wasn't for you know this person at dbox looking at it and, and sending me the message my life would have been completely different so it is absolutely crazy if you think about it if you believe in destiny probably that's a sign from destiny totally i mean even if you don't believe it i mean that, no. that's that's what it is like, that could be made not... an argument for that yeah yeah it's crazy um so anyway so i had an interview with this guy and of course the interview was english was the scariest day of my life <laughs> i can't even start thinking about that uh, and it, of course we went through my portfolio and we started, of course, from the first image of my portfolio, but I had a very tiny screen, so I couldn't have like their picture in, you know, in one part of the screen and my portfolio in the other part <laughs> of the screen. So I decided to take just the, the Skype conversation because I couldn't really understand without seeing their mouth moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go by you know, by heart. I, I don't remember. And I, of course, I'm stupid. I didn't print it. <laughs> so it was so bad. Okay. So bad. Yeah, and they started for the first image, but because the first image was called Summer in the City, I think, I, I just panicked and I started to describe another image, which was called Summer is Coming. I don't have a lot of imagination in naming my images, by the way, but <laughs> so it was, it was absolutely hilarious. But lasted about an hour or so and I uh, I think at the end I was so exhausted mentally and physically I said oh my god these people must hate me you know I, I, I could not picture my future going anywhere that isn't that isn't here in my small hometown uh, but actually for you know some reason that I still don't understand they they call me back and they offered me a position as a junior in uh, in Box London so uh, that was, uh, I was insane. It was really, really good. And I started working for them in 2015, in July. And um, yeah, since then, I'm, you know, moved to London and I'm still in London. So I moved a few companies in between, but 
that was my first and I, I loved it so much. That's a great start. I mean, thinking about starting a D-Box, not many people could say that, honestly. Uh, did you know at the time that D-Box was such a big deal in the industry? No, not at all. I, I discovered it as soon as I started working for them. So uh, I started working for them and I was like, ah, they actually hire a helicopter to say, <laughs> to take pictures. And that for me was, you know, fantasy, like it was not possible. Yeah. Well, you got the, the most luxurious and big idea of Arkvis probably. Yeah, like, oh, they're they are working for, they are Arky stars. Like I, I always had like dreams about this. I didn't know that this existed. They have, you know, this image costs this amount of money and, it was a dream. I, I can totally say that it was a dream. It's also interesting to see how you move after D-Box because right now you don't work at D-Box, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You went to progressively smaller and smaller companies. Uh, is it because you began being aware of how the RFC industry works and about the responsibilities you could have on an image? Yeah, it was, yeah, many reasons. I think the, the most important part was the relationship with clients. And I really wanted to get that hands-on experience which unfortunately in a in a very big company is a bit more difficult to get it was totally possible but i think in a smaller company now i'm sick smith and which is a small boutique very new company which is very different from you know diva super established like 20 probably 25 years going um, company uh, then cityscape again like 20 year or something um, company maybe a bit less but uh, very very established and um, the dynamics were very different for example um, the big companies like cityscape and dbox of course cityscape was is pretty big it, it is smaller than dbox globally because cityscape has got just london uh, of course dbox got many uh, branches but actually in the actual studio in London, Cityscape was actually bigger. So the team, the archivist team was actually not that dissimilar, but it was still very, very big. And so the, all the process was much more, you know, regimented. And there's a lot of hierarchy in both of these companies, because of course you need to have that because there are big companies and you you cannot do it. Uh, The difference, uh, here we are just now. I think we we're gonna be we're gonna be probably ten uh, people. So we are opening now an office in Florence um, also. So we have an office in uh, London and it's gonna have we're gonna have a, an office in Florence. I think we're gonna be ten between here and Florence, something like that. Um, so it is uh, it is much smaller. Uh, I think Cityscape when I was there was about sixty people. Uh, and uh, well, not of course, not everybody doing archivists. There was a lot, of, a big chunk of management, big chunk of you know, project managers, and uh, also difference is that in big companies you do have project managers. That's really, really big difference. So a lot of the client relation is handled by project managers most of the time. So uh, I, I realized I really, really needed to be like a complete you know, entity uh, in, in Arcviz, uh, I wanted to get very, very hands-on with clients, know how to 
have a relationship with them and how they could actually know you as a person and know what you are capable of doing instead of going always, you know, through somebody else, okay, which yeah. could have been, you know, your boss or your project manager. Uh, in a smaller company, in this case, is basically me. Now I'm a senior person, and then there is just one one step above me, which is my boss, and as the owner of the company. That means that you have direct relationship with your clients doing a job. Exactly. Which you didn't have at Cityscape and Dbox. At Cityscape I did, but we did have project managers as well. So it was not like under percent, let's say, uh, which was really good because of course, especially when you start, you don't want to have everything on your shoulders, right? You want to learn and project managers are incredibly useful for that because they help you uh, to manage, you know, the projects. That's their title, um, uh, which is really good. But at some point, you know, it, it, it was kind of progression. Of course, in Dbox, I started as a junior. So again, if you're a junior, it's less and less what, what you actually do with client then I went to be a senior at Dbox again mm -hmm. uh, but because of the very big hierarchy that it was there uh, then there was almost all the time somebody else handling um, all right, yeah. big clients or project managers um, but I did I didn't learn so I, I would say that at Dbox I really really learned the technique and uh, they are incredible like their precision and what they do because of course of the difference between you know their clients they are they want like super luxury um everything needs to be super polished and images are perfect so i i really learned a lot about that what about responsibilities you move to a junior to senior position how do you see your responsibility changing in that shift i think I saw a big difference, not as much inside one company. I saw the big difference in the different companies that I work with. I moved to senior in D-Box. And, and of course, as you move up a little bit of try to manage a little team, try to manage um, you know, a junior person, do a bit of an induction to a junior person. But basically, just after... I became senior at D-Box after a few months, I think I, I moved. So I didn't have a lot of time like to explore my role as a senior at D-Box. So I did become a, a real senior, I think, at Cityscape when I went there because it's being like a big company and big teams. Um, as a senior, you are the lead most of the times. So you need to be able to handle a team of a few people. These people can be juniors, can be midweights, can be other seniors, because it's possible that you are the senior, you work with other seniors, but you are the senior lead of that project. Next time, somebody else could be the senior lead of that project. So it was incredibly interesting to actually have a little bit of a bigger team to, to manage and uh, having more relationship with clients in that sense, having a bit more, you know, going to meetings more. Uh, of course, nowadays, we, we don't really go to meetings anymore because of COVID and stuff. But back then, of course, you could. Cityscape has got a big culture of, you know, having a personal relationship with clients. So they try all the time, like, to go to the meetings and seeing people in the flesh yeah. um, or, you know, talking to the phone. So it was everything kind of pretty new to me. I really enjoyed that part. Um, I mean, I say enjoy because I feel like I learned a lot. It's not my favorite part of the process, to be honest, like dealing with clients, but is is really good to to learn how to do it. And I, I think that Cityscape really 
taught me that and I got a chance to you know manage big projects there and um, with big teams uh, and it was it was really good. And what about today? You've moved to Seki Smith which you mentioned being a boutique visualization office. How did you see your responsibilities shifting? Cityscape had this hierarchy, as you mentioned, and now you work in a 10-people office. And I guess hierarchy there is more horizontal than vertical. How do you see your role changing? I would say that because now we don't have a lot of management at the top, so our hierarchy is just basically the two owner of the company and then there are the seniors and then the juniors or midweight or whatever. So the hierarchy is very, you know, short. Um, so that means that because we don't have project managers, we don't have anybody else above me except for my bosses. So the responsibility for the images are and for the relationship with the client is basically 100% on the seniors' shoulders. Of course, the the bosses are are quite into the process. They always make sure that we deliver, you know, a high quality product. So they they do a lot of quality control and everything. But I feel like I am much more into the process, even more with clients. There's something else I wanted to ask you about the division of roles between juniors and senior. Uh, it's kind of you know blurry in our industry there's not a clear definition so in your opinion what can a junior candidate expect when moving to an archivist company i think it depends a lot on the actual company maybe if you come to our company it's slightly different from if you go to a different company some companies have some specific requirements or some other don't have any so in some companies maybe you can go and you don't know even how to use a software and then they will teach you that some other company they say yes you're a junior but you need to be able to you know for just an example use this software yeah i was having a conversation with a person working for a large italian uh, architecture office which has a large in-house team we're having almost an argument about that because I was like, okay, well, it's a junior. You don't need these people to know software from day one. And the person was like, no, no, no. They have to know software from day one because they have to be fully integrated into our workload. So yeah, that's how you say it. It varies from company to another. Yeah. I would say that though, unfortunately to, well, fortunately and unfortunately, it's kind of two sides of the same thing, uh, is that to get a job, our industry is not like any other industry, I would say. It is different. It's more the portfolio that you come with. So, if of course, if you come with no portfolio at all, your chances to get a job are very, very minimal. You can be a really good, I don't know, artist or whatever. But if you don't show anything, it is quite rare that somebody would hire you just because, I don't know, you you take, for example, beautiful pictures. So you can be a good photographer. Uh, that's absolutely a plus. And as a company, we are very, very into people who have other interests, who are artists, for example, or who are very good photographers. We really like that. And I know that as a company, if we get somebody who is very interested in like learning, from scratch but this person can prove that they have a very good eye for composition eye for color even if it's not through archivist maybe it's through art maybe it's through something else i'm sure that we could take them into consideration because our company is very focused on that it's more like color and composition that's the most important thing for us so 
everything else can be taught, I think. So if you are very into coming in our office, very into, you know, um, learning especially and willing to learn from scratch and you're really good in something else. So you show us that you're really good and you want to learn. Fair enough. You can have a chance. But I would say that if you don't have any portfolio whatsoever and you are like completely zero, you don't have anything else like no art, no photography, nothing that can prove that why why should I are you instead of hire somebody else that at least got some kind of knowledge and can prove that they can actually be an asset for my company. So that's a little bit blurred because I'm sure that there are so many people out there that they want to start and they at the moment maybe they don't have a portfolio, they don't have a specific skill that they're really good at yet. Um, but that, that becomes a little bit tricky, I would say. I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would say it's a bit tricky. Uh, I will touch this portfolio topic a bit later because it's also something that I'm really interested in too. But going back to the topic of defining roles, and what about senior candidates? In your opinion, what are the skills that a senior has to show to be a good senior artist? I think the most important thing, if you exclude, of course, the quality of the work that this person produces, but let's just exclude that. I would say the most important thing is to being able to manage a team and lead by example. That's, I think, the most important thing, being a good leader. Because a senior most of the time will have a small team, even if it's just one other person, which is another junior, the senior needs to be able to teach the junior and to be there for this junior and try to give constructive feedback. So also being able to give feedback, which is very difficult, I have to say, especially if you know the junior did something wrong and you need to correct them without being mean or being kind of sensible for this other person. I think that's that's a really, really good skill to have. And it's something that people are just born with it. Some other people need to learn how to be better. Also, for example, taking good responsibility of the team. So you are the senior, you are the lead of the project. And if the project goes down, yes, it could be because, you know, maybe the junior made a mistake, but as a junior, juniors make mistakes, even seniors make mistakes, but you are the lead of the project. So you need to take responsibility of, of the outcome. So I think to me, that's the most important thing that a senior should have. I really like your answer. You know, I never saw it that way when it comes to seniorship. I always saw it more about communicating properly with a client. That would be probably the second best. Yeah, but it's really eye-opening what you say. It's uh, it's really important also to have people skills when it comes to seniorship. Yeah. And to yeah lead by example, as you said, being a nice person. It's really important to be a leader, a person that acts in a certain way towards their co-workers, be they junior or other seniors. So yeah, that's, that's really nice what you said. I really liked it. Um, and we mentioned personal skills, but what about the attitude? What's the right attitude to be an artist artist, in your opinion? I would say that comes for, I don't know, either junior or senior or anybody really is, I will go back to the feedback thing. So receiving feedback in the correct way. So when somebody gives you a feedback, it could be, you know, positive or negative, whatever it is, especially negative, uh, your attitude should be as of course, it is a constructive feedback. I shouldn't be 
demoralized or depressed about this and try to kind of be resilient and go on regardless some project will go bad because everybody had a project that went bad and then trying to always improve the next project sometimes can be difficult sometimes can be easier but always being resilient in going i think that's not necessarily just for this industry resilience is one of the things that is probably especially this year everybody dealt with yeah yeah exactly it's a key word that's been on the mouth of basically everybody this exactly (laughs) so it's probably a cliche what i'm saying but no i don't think it is but many people discover resilience during these months Uh, it's very important especially in an industry that is as challenging as ours to be you know tough and have this kind of grit uh, even more than resilience be persistent and be aware and prepared to receive feedback receive criticism accept that things go bad uh that's very important not to be discouraged easily by these things and it's also very tough because uh, it's a challenging industry it's a it's a tight deadline industry it's it's um yeah you know i wouldn't say it's a it's a straining work but sometimes it can be really taxing on oneself as well that's maybe a topic for another time uh, i wanted to go back one step and ask you something that we missed in the previous steps of the conversation what did you enjoy the most of working at each company that you worked at, even the, your current one? I would start, so being a D-Box, just the fact of being a D-Box, <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed that. Like being part of of that, uh, it was awesome. So I think that's probably the, the thing that I enjoyed the most, just being part of it. Um, but I would say having and this can be true for the other companies as well. But of course, in D-Box, because it was my first one. So I, I noticed that more there. So the fact that I am, I was surrounded by these incredibly talented people that I, I knew that I had to learn so much from them, uh, especially as a junior. Uh, and that's actually another thing that I would say in terms of attitude. So I think... Again, for senior and junior, um, is the same. I think knowing that you will always have to learn from anybody near you, um, there is always something to learn. It could be from you know another junior, or if you're a senior, you can learn from a junior something. It could be something technical. It could be something about I don't know how to interact with teammates or clients. It could be anything. But having this open mind of thinking that there is always something to learn from everybody. And when I joined D-Box, I was so humbled that I knew that I said, oh my God, what am I doing here? And um, of course, you don't have to to think low of yourself, you know, if that's an expression, but um, that's not the case, not what I'm saying. But knowing that, of course, other people can teach you and as much as you probably can teach them. Yeah, it's basically being humble and being aware. Yeah, that being humble. Everything's a learning occasion. Exactly. So not thinking that you know everything. So sometimes it happens that maybe some people, they come across like they think they know everything, but when in reality they don't. And nobody knows everything. Uh, the most successful people are the people who oh, are humble and think that they can always improve. So that's not thinking that you go anywhere. Uh, so of course, acknowledge that you that you had a career and uh, you did something very good. So acknowledge that, yes, but there is always room for improvement. Especially in this industry where technical is still a thing, it's still important. And 
we often don't have the time, you know, to watch a tutorial, to learn a new software, a new skill. And maybe there's somebody close to us, could be a junior, could be an intern even, that teaches you how to do a certain task faster and better. And you don't have to discard that idea just because it comes from a junior or from an intern, because it's, it's still a valid idea. Totally. I learned from the junior that are working with me all the time, especially technical stuff, mm. because as you said, I am like stuck there. I don't think I'm going <laughs> to go anywhere. It's also younger minds that like, they learn faster, they, they're more open-minded when it comes to technical. So there's also that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. About D-Box, I, I really, really enjoyed that part. Then about Cityscape, Cityscape being such a big company and such a big team, really, really the, the team spirit that we created there, it was something special. When I started working in Cityscape, we worked on the biggest project that Cityscape has ever had, like was many, many, many images for a really, really high profile client. Um, and I started first day with a team of other seven people, which was just half of the team that at the time uh, Cityscape was in terms of CGI and uh, stills, that they had teams of real time and teams of other things, but uh, planning and stuff, but just you no know, marketing CGI's uh, that were stills, it, it was probably around 15 people, something like that. So it was kind of big. And so half of the team went working on this massive project that lasted six months. It was really, really big. Um, the atmosphere that came out, you know, after the six months of really hard work uh, was something also very different from what Cityscape has always done. So it was such a challenge, such a, you know, love-hate kind of thing because it was super hard, but it was actually super good in terms of, I don't know, team building and it was a, a massive learning curve. And so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then uh, I would say uh, sick is myth. And now instead, I'm really enjoying the fact that we are a small company. Small, not a small, it's not a small company because, you know, 10 people, it's not a small company. If you, of course, in Archivist, it's not. <laughs> when I tell people, they say, oh yeah, I was working for a big company, about 50 people. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, you can count these companies on the fingers of one hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I'm actually enjoying more working in a company where I know everybody very well. In, of course, the Boys Cityscape, you're a bigger company, so you knew few people in your team. But then sometimes when Cityscape became very big, at some point there were 60 people or something. Mm. I didn't know the name of all of them. So it was actually, uh, it's a bit like um, now at the moment, I much prefer having this kind of family experience. That you never had. That I never had, uh, exactly. Um, I, I had it, of course, in a smaller team in both Dbox and Cityscape. Uh, I've got like friends from Dbox that become some of my best friends. And still uh, in Cityscape, I made really, really good friends. So I had my kind of core <laughs> teams uh, that I knew very well, but it's different from having the whole company and everybody is in the same boat. Everybody kind of knows what other people are working on and we jump project to project, something that wasn't really happening before because it was so structured that basically you were working on your project and that's it. You didn't really know what other people were doing very well. Now is much more, I think, fluid just because we are small, I'm sure that if we become much bigger, then this would change because 
if you become bigger that's what's gonna happen but at the moment i'm really yeah i'm really enjoying that i also guess that you have a really close eye on other people's projects which is probably the nice thing about boutique companies everybody can chime in and give their feedback on ongoing projects to make them better even if you have a few projects in the pipeline everybody can give their contribution and this is honestly the thing that i miss the most about working in an artist firm i really feel that sometimes i have to say by the way, when you moved to Seki Smith, did you move on a portfolio basis as well? It was it was interesting because I am really, really uh, good friends from university with Tommaso, which is the Seki part of Seki Smith. And I don't think they were looking at the moment, but um, I wanted to look around from Cityscapes. So I wanted to go in a smaller company, more hands-on, etc. I never really consider them because at the, at the time they were really really new so they uh, i don't know if you know the story but basically was what it was before the studio of Forbes Massey and then became uh, Six Smith but it happened so quickly and they started off just the uh, Josh and Tommaso so the two people together with um, another senior and a junior so they were just four and I was in touch with Tommaso so we were like chatting every now and then and he would tell me you know oh my god this is very hard you know we're trying to get back uh, you know all the clients and everything um so i didn't really never consider them as as an option mm-hmm. but then one one day i was like talking to tomaso and say you know what i i i want to I want to go and maybe i will apply to this company i will apply here and i was like oh, why don't you apply to us I was like, oh, <laughs> that's uh, that's not bad. That's not a bad idea. So, of course, uh, then I had to go through the process of, you know, portfolio mm. and everything. Um, so I, I didn't know the other boss. So I didn't know Josh. Uh, we had a conversation with him uh, and then they uh, then offered me a position. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. Okay. And about the portfolio in Arquis, portfolio is a very different entity according to the seniority of the candidate. So what are your tips to craft the portfolio according to the seniority of the candidate? Right. I think I would say, um, of course, the quality is very important. So, of course, the more senior you are, you are, you expect to see a certain quality, right? And also, I would expect to see a certain style. So I would say the difference between a junior and a senior, even though I try to tell people, even juniors, try to customize the portfolio according to the company you are sending it to. So if you want to work for, you know, super hyper-realistic interiors, luxury, whatever, maybe don't put in your portfolio ultra photoshopped aerial view of a master plan okay so that's that's my general advice and the consistency of the portfolio uh, for me is quite key many people might think differently so that's not like the truth but if i'm looking at the portfolio i kind of want to see some kind of consistency so even from a junior portfolio of course i would be much more picky for for a senior one but if it is like a junior one even uh, and there is i don't know a a render of a a bathroom of a a vase something like an object right then so it's a product 
and then next to it there is an image again of an aerial master plan and then next to it there is something completely different say yes okay so you can do ish these things but my company does one thing my company does this style and i don't care to see your representation of you know product design because my company doesn't do product design so that's an advice that i think everybody should consider either if you're junior or senior that's really kind of basic i know that sometimes juniors i mean they don't have like a lot of experience so i don't they don't have a lot of they don't really know what to do they don't really know where to apply so basically the end is like oh let's just put everything together something will stick which i totally understand and i wouldn't necessarily expect a style in a junior person because of course they lack the experience so fair enough i would expect a style and much more consistency in a senior portfolio. I'm on board 100%, you know, the consistency and being on target. It's something I've been telling people for five years now. (laughs) (laughs) So I really love that you said that on the podcast. So thank you, Lucia. Thank you very (laughs) much. (laughs) (laughs) Promise I haven't haven't spoken to you about this before. So (laughs) if you think it's common sense, uh, I had a a small season of recruitment in 2019 and I, I started getting architecture portfolios which yeah. is like the extreme spectrum on what not to do when you apply to an artist yeah. company, if you think about it. <laughs> but anyway, Lucia, just to move to the end stretch of this conversation, uh, you told me that you basically started looking at visualization from Alex Sogreyfe's blog. Yep. What are today, in your opinion, the most interesting sources to learn, the resources that can help artist artists to apply for a job and to get better? I would say the first thing and i know it's weird to say now in this time of you know covid and stuff but i would say networking is the best thing ever in terms of like finding a job your network is everything you have no idea how how many people came to me asking for recommendation for people to hire and sometimes these people got hired or sometimes people came to me and i'm I'm saying me because of course i know but i know that this happens to many, many people who know many people. So if I know somebody well, and I know there is a person that I trust very much, I would very happily recommend this person. And there's nothing to do with cheating or anything because this is a small industry and we kind of know each other pretty much. And it's just natural that if you trust somebody, and you are happy, of course, to recommend this somebody. It's not like, oh, I know the name of this person, then I will recommend. That's not advisable. But um, it happened to me that I, I really trusted some people and I recommended them to the companies that they wanted to apply for. And that means that these people got the job. Of course, these people are great, but it is also true that these other people trust me which means that if they trust me they are more likely to hire this person because they know that i wouldn't screw them up right so i think having a good network and knowing people through conferences for example and through you know events and stuff like that that really helps Okay, and uh, you know, with of course colleagues and having you know good relationship with people in general is really important because if you don't really work well with a team, 
then you're going to have like a bit of trouble in other companies and stuff. So I think it's, yeah, networking is, is really, really good. Uh, plus, you know, when you go to a conference and you just go there with your portfolio and five minutes, people see you if you do if you do a good job then people would just see it and say oh why why that's that's quite nice you know and give me your, your card uh, and that's super easy so and then that person is going to remember you next time and then next time when you send him an email say oh by the way we met at you know d2 conference and you know so many jobs were found like this so that's one thing in terms of improving in terms of like online um things I would say, of course, like having a look at of course, CG architects, that's always a good source of, you know, just to have an idea of what's around. Uh, everybody's kind of on CG architects. So you have a good idea of the standard of the industry. That's, I think, pretty good. There are quite a few, I think, courses that you can do, but they're more like courses if you want to learn a technique, for example. If you want to improve in a specific thing, of course, speaking to somebody who is a master in that specific thing that you want to improve that could help um, or of course doing a course specifically on that specific thing unfortunately I don't really know nowadays uh, because I'm a bit out of the like courses that there are now available um, of everything so I can't recommend it it's a specific one but again we go back to networking because you know if you go to a big conference even a small one um, you know you meet people from all uh, work walk of lives yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. so and and you meet people from many many different styles many different companies and stuff so it's kind of interesting and, and if you ask for advice they would be very happy to give you the advice so that's it all right there's a lot of insight here for people that want to undertake a job in the rpc industry so thanks for your time uh hope to see you in person pretty soon Hopefully it's almost over. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new episode every second week. If you like this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you would like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.